You're listening to Remote Possibilities, a podcast on the intersection of technology, society, and education, brought to you by MarketScale. Now here's your host, Kevin Hogan. Okay, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Remote Possibilities, the podcast that explores the promise and the perils of distance learning. I'm your host, Kevin Hogan, and I'm glad you found us. With me today is Daniel Tuhoa, Senior Vice President of MathSpace, which is an online mathematics program designed for students in elementary, secondary, and higher education. It's also used in schools in Australia, New Zealand, the United States, Canada, United Kingdom, Hong Kong, and India, so otherwise known as worldwide. (laughs) Uh, MathSpace uses an adaptive learning model to personalize the software experience for each student. The questions presented to a user are chosen by an algorithm that responds to past performance, and student input is evaluated to provide feedback on their progress within each problem. Daniel, obviously we'll we'll, we'll go in and talk about MathSpace some more, but the reason for our conversation today is a report that you folks put out when the time the podcast comes out will be last week. Uh, looking at some of the results uh, of a survey that you, you folks put together. Isn't that correct? Well, first, first of all, thank you uh, for your time and for coming on Remote Possibilities. It's a pleasure to be here, Kevin. Let me give a little description for our listeners to the to the report, and then maybe I'll leave it to you to kind of dive in a, a little deeper. Uh, the research uh, indicates uh, some, you know, Unfortunate and maybe obvious uh, news that three, three and four students are concerned about contracting uh, COVID nineteen this fall, um, and the report also kind of goes into looking at uh, student sentiment towards remote learning and, and online tools. Um, there were three questions that I pulled out of the executive summary, which I hope during the course of this conversation, we might be able to begin to have some answers for. So I'll just read those off real quick. How will we ensure students' voices are better heard and reflected in decisions that impact them? What changes will we make in the implementation of distance learning to ensure that students don't fall further behind in 2020-21, particularly in mathematics? And finally, how will we better support remote teaching and learning of middle and high school math? So those are... um, Three really big questions and some uh, some daunting uh, statistics, right? That that you found as a result of surveying your your users. Yeah, that's right, Kevin. And and honestly, if I had the answers to those three questions, we probably wouldn't be speaking right now. They're they're really complex questions that we wanted to really start the conversation with uh, educators, with education administrators about how to solve some of these really big issues that have come up, particularly in K-12 education. Now, going through it, I have to say, you know, some of the statistics may be obvious, but uh, some aren't. Uh, maybe go into some of your analysis of of your uh, results. Yeah, I would say that the, the, the big headline results here are that the majority of students, as you said, three out of four students are concerned that they would contract COVID-19 upon returning to school in the fall. Um, And second to that, uh, the other big headline is that uh, 77% of students are concerned they won't be academically prepared for this school year. So we know from some research that has already been done uh, by a number of companies, including NWEA, that that traditional summer slide that we've seen each year has extended into a larger scale COVID slide. And so when we kind of look at that system-wide level, 
uh, what we're, we're hearing in terms of student sentiment is that they are feeling the same thing. And this survey was taken towards the end of the school year uh, in, in May, June. So this is kind of very current for students as they finished the school year and they reflected back on what they'd learned, particularly in spring, there is a, a real anxiety that they won't be ready for the fall. One one statistic that I, I found interesting uh, and not necessarily obvious was that they did seem to like, or a majority seemed to like, uh, the use of tools in a remote setup. So th th there were some things that they did take away from this disruption to, to say, hey, you know what, when we go back to whatever our normal is, we want to continue to use these um, these pieces of software or these tools at home as much as we do in the classroom, right? It's it's an interesting it's an interesting data point, and uh, being uh, from MathSpace, a, a math learning company, I think we we kind of analyze the data in a, in a certain way where we kind of see both sides of the coin. So only uh, I guess slightly more than half. I think it was fifty seven percent of students want to use more digital tools. Um, and I guess I would add a couple of caveats. I think the first is that the students who were surveyed were surveyed online. So we're talking already about a certain bias in the data where we're looking at students who are, have access to digital tools um, and, and potentially, uh, you know, access to home Wi-Fi and, and Internet access. So perhaps there already is a certain sentiment uh, where students do uh, want to continue using those digital tools and maybe they already had been using um, those tools in the classroom. On the other side, there's not an insignificant chunk of students, around 40%, who don't want to use more digital tools. Uh, and I think uh, as adults, we can relate to this in some way. Um, at the start of the pandemic, um, as we began working from home, it, it seemed in some ways exciting. I remember an app called House Party that everyone seemed to download all at once. Yeah. <laughs> we wanted to all meet each other virtually on Zoom. And uh, within a couple of weeks, <laughs> the interest in that app and, and even in meeting people online um, really declined significantly with a lot of Zoom fatigue. So, you know, I, I think that's a data point where we can kind of see both sides. So there may be for students who hadn't had exposure. Uh, there is a feeling that they do want to use more digital tools. Uh, and for those who kind of were already in there, maybe there is some fatigue. I think what what is true for all students is, uh, and teachers and in all classrooms is, whether or not you use digital tools before uh, the COVID shutdowns in spring, you will be using digital tools now and for the foreseeable future. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another data point in here that half the students found math harder to learn remotely, um, with high school students twice as likely to find math more difficult to learn remotely compared to elementary. And just having my three beta testers for remote learning uh, home from their various schools this spring, I did notice that too, where, uh, you know, even the youngest who's doing algebra, had he still had to show his work on a piece of paper and take a picture and, and send it in. There are certain dynamics to math, I guess, uh, that make that make it more difficult. What? How does it look from from mass based perspective? I, I think this data point um, kind of lines up with a lot of research we've already seen. Um, NWEA published a report about the COVID slide that said that not only would students regress in their learning more than usual uh, than the usual summer slide, but that students learning mathematics would suffer greater learning loss than students in reading. Um, with some students starting the year up to a year behind in mathematics. 
so th this in many ways for us isn't surprising. Uh, and, and part of it is the particular nature of learning mathematics uh, and, and um, the, the level of support you need. It's interesting, Kevin, that you mentioned your, um, your child uh, or beta test, as you, as you describe them, um, doing algebra at home and needing to show their work on a piece of paper and, and taking a photo and sending it in. One of, one of the insights from our report is around why students found it harder to learn math remotely. And a big part was the lack of support. Um, and when you, when you think about a, a typical algebra problem, like a three-step equation where you need to show your work, there are multiple points in that problem where a student might make a mistake and not end up getting the right answer. Uh, and, you know, typically for students who could afford a one-on-one -on -one tutor, that tutor would sit next to them and say, okay, let's just pause there. You, you, you seem to make, have made an error here on the second step. Let's figure that out and let's get back on track. Now, if students are in an environment where they don't have that support, um, that they don't have that scaffolded feedback, um, that's really going to impact them in their math learning. And so as the math gets more complex, as you get into that high school level of mathematics, um, I think that's why we saw that um, in our survey, students learning high school mathematics had a much harder time learning math remotely than students in elementary. Right, right. I had a, an earlier episode of Remote Possibilities with a, an executive from an, uh, an online learning company, longtime online learning company, that made the distinction, the big distinction between remote learning, uh, which is what we all kind of experienced uh, in an immediate and cataclysmic way in the spring, and online learning. And uh, I'll assume with, with mass space and the facts that you're using uh, adaptive learning technologies that the, so the, the difference is remote learning was just making a connection with students, just being able to reach out and have conversation and and have connection. And that's where the Zoom fatigue came in. But online learning, where you have uh, curricula and you have courseware that is created specifically for using it in a in a remote setup, st stage one, stage two, you go to the next level sort of thing. Um, like the, that can be much more productive than just having a teacher on a Zoom call. Can you talk a little bit about MassSpace and your use of adaptive learning technologies? And am, uh, am I somewhere in the ballpark? Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting distinction. And, and as we kind of look at the different models that schools and school districts are using as they go back, we're seeing, um, you know, at one extreme, uh, uh, families being able to opt into virtual academies, which are being set up by districts uh, for families that just want to spend the entire year learning uh, in, in a distance learning format. Uh, of course, we've got in-classroom and in-between, we've got all kinds of hybrid and blended models. Uh, a, a really common one I've, I've been seeing is where students attend school two days a week, uh, and half the school comes on Monday and Wednesday, and the other half comes on Tuesday and Thursday. Uh, with Friday being a time for teachers to do some planning, uh, have one-on-one -on -one time. Um, so I guess when, when we think about math uh, in that context of hybrid learning, um, yes, you, you will have that chance to uh, be face-to-face -face with your teacher, even in a Zoom call two days a week. Uh, but in those other two days, you, you, need to, um, you need to kind of drive your own learning as a student. Uh, and again, we are faced with a situation where we have had the summer to prepare. Um, we've, we've had some time for teachers to get some training, but it is still a really difficult environment. And so with MathSpace, the way we uniquely support students in this environment is uh, the way we support 
uh, higher levels of mathematics. So whereas many, many other programs use either multiple choice or ask students to type in the final answer for math questions, what really makes MathSpace stand out is we allow students to show their work in our program. And as they show their work, MathSpace corrects each step and can stop a student if they have made a mistake on the third step and support them with videos and support them with hints. So this is actually a, a big year for MathSpace. It's our, it's our 10th birthday this year. Uh, so when we started 10 years ago, this was always really part of the vision. Uh, we had a dual vision. One is to replace physical textbooks with a digital textbook. And the second is to faithfully represent and replicate one-to-one -one tutoring uh, in a way that uh, really the majority of other math programs don't do. So in, in, in some ways, um, your time has come, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, not, probably not the way in which you intended it, but um, yeah, I mean, I don't see any districts buying math textbooks for the next ever again. <laughs> uh, talk a little bit about that. What, I mean, has the pandemic actually, in a, in a, in a perverse way, been, been good for math space? I know it's been good for a number of school districts where tech directors have kind of told me that, look, I've been advocating for the use of these techniques forever. I wanna, I've wanted to have a hybrid model. I've wanted to have at least e-snow days, and, and now I have them. So let's take advantage of, of the tragedy. It's, it's going to be a point where we look back in, in history, uh, in the history of education and ed tech as, as kind of the, the big turning point where teachers and students, whether or not they wanted to, um, are, are being thrust into uh, learning with online and digital tools. Um, but we, we know from experience in working with districts that have been very intentional and thoughtful and planned for years in their training, uh, in rollout advices and training teachers that it, it doesn't happen overnight, especially uh, very successful implementations. So it is a little bit of a shock to the system. Um, I, I think for a lot of the tech products, it's, it's almost a moment of truth, right? Because it, it should be the right time for all ed tech products to flourish, but we really will see, um, which products really, really work. Um, and I, I think it's important at this point for, um, for edtech products and, and companies like MathSpace to, to really support educators however they can. So MathSpace has offered our product for free for the rest of the year. We have run a number of webinars, uh, including continuing to amplify the student voice. Um, so we, we partnered with a distance learning school, uh, and, uh, in this webinar, we interviewed three students who had made the transition to a distance learning school and asked them for their tips and uh, and their advice for other students who are now going through this. So again, one of the big themes of this research is amplifying the student voice. Um, students in this current era have, have had such a big voice. And if you look at some of the big movements um, that have happened over the last 12 and 24 months, they've really been led by by youth leaders. Uh, I, I think about the climate movement led by Greta Thunberg. Um, I think about some of the other um, uh, marches that have been really led by by young people. Um, so we talk a lot about giving students agency in the classroom. Uh, and so a, a big thing that we want to emphasize in this report is uh, we need to listen to young people. We need to listen to students and their, and their voice. Uh, that's really that caught my eye when the uh, press release came scrolling through my inbox yesterday uh that fact that you do make that emphasis uh, i've looked at a ton of data that's been coming out since april 
and most involve scores, student scores, but not talking to the student themselves. And then you see uh, surveys of what parents think. You see surveys of what teachers think and administrators. But you're right. Um, there isn't uh, any talk about what the students want. And maybe in this radical disruption, um, they will have a need greater agency for themselves. I know, again, from my own, my own children, their self-awareness uh, of their learning path is so much more advanced and mature than mine ever was <laughs> and, and, and continues to be. I mean, just it's just the self-awareness of what they need to get done and how they need to do it and what the best things are. And maybe we should be listening to them a little bit more. Well, I think so. I, th I think it's really easy to underestimate students. And, and in the current highly politicized environment, um, decisions are being made um, that affect students uh, and, and where they're a major stakeholder but don't currently have a voice. So I, I do think when we think about remote learning and distance learning, um, we do worry about the impacts on student um, learning um, over the course of this school year, particularly as it relates to equity. Uh, we know that the impacts of the, the COVID slide and, the, and particularly the digital divide disproportionately impact students of color uh, and students living in poverty. And, and so I, I know that when I read district plans to return back to school, there is a really high emphasis on equity. And, and I'm really pleased and encouraged to see initiatives like in California, where students who don't have home access to high-speed internet are being given MiFi's and um, other ways to access uh, digital technology to, to really level the playing field. Yeah, I've been writing about the digital equity issue for 15 years and go to events and sessions and everyone would wring their hands about how do we do it? How do we do it? And my, my joke is all it took was a global pandemic, right? <laughs> and you have te tech directors getting in the cars and driving hotspots out to students. You know, you have major telcos now. Uh, T-Mobile just announced yesterday a, a, a 10 million student connection drive. So it it can happen. Uh, I guess it just needed to be kind of uh, shook shook awake. And it's also you know remaining to be seen uh, how it happens. Uh, it's It's not going to be easy. I agree, but it is so great to see that the intention is there, um, that um, a global pandemic has spurred some significant action to um, to address some of these equity issues. Let's go back to the, 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 the hybrid uh, learning cohort. Um, that does seem to be a prominent model that is, that is coming out of anybody who can go to school. They're not going five days a week. They're, they're cutting it in half to keep the numbers down. Uh, when it comes to mass space, have you had to make adjustments to your to your courseware, or does it this kind of lend itself to uh, a, a combo of being remote and in person? Um, it, it, that is a really interesting question because um, I, I don't think many products built themselves to be used specifically for distance learning, um, but but certainly I think. In terms of some of the changes we're already making to our, our program uh, that have an eye to distance learning, particularly re relate to student agency. So uh, when students log in traditionally into MathSpace, it is kind of what you might see if you log into Canvas, like here are the tasks you have to do, like it, it's a, a, it's a to-do list. Uh, but increasingly what, what we're doing instead in, in the latest version of our interface is actually showing students um, what their insights are, what their data is showing, 
what they should be working on next, and really trying to promote this idea of student agency, that students can drive their own learning. Um, you know, one of the one of the core parts of the research is is that students said that there's no way that technology can replace their teachers. Um, and so one of our recommendations is for students to uh, spend time with their teachers, even in a remote environment. Um, but that said, uh, we know that students will have to spend significant chunks of time in an environment where they, they have to drive their own learning. So anything we can do to help promote student engagement, but also give them that sense of agency um, is the direction we're heading. And it seems uh, you mentioned before that uh, a big element of this, and as a result of some of the um, the survey results that you have, uh, is about student support. Can you talk a little bit about more if any changes or uh, improvements that you've done in order to enhance student support while they're remote? It's it's a it's a big burden for teachers, really. Um, uh, just training some teachers this week um, from a district in Virginia. Um, the the overwhelming sentiment as they begin school is anxiety, um, and part of it, of course, is uh, COVID nineteen. Uh, a lot of it is around uncertainty and ambiguity, uh, but also uh, teachers have been thrown a lot of new platforms. Uh, one teacher said, uh, I've been thrown so many new resources and options, I've got nine different whiteboard um, applications <laughs> that I could use. And I think she was only half joking. Um, but um, it, it's, it's really through teachers that, that, uh, that we can support students, and that's really clear in our survey. So the, the irony of what we're seeing um, anecdotally from uh, from our customers is that there is a real willingness and, and a desire to help teachers and provide them with resources. But in some way, we've increased the cognitive load for teachers by giving them too much in a time of turbulence and change. So in, in some ways, to really support students, you have to simplify things for teachers. Yeah. They, well, one general theme that I've, I've certainly pulled out uh, in the course of doing these, uh, these broadcasts is that ed tech companies are now all customer support customer uh, companies, right? I mean, it's, it seems that it's, if it's not the student or it's the teacher, for a number of folks, it's also uh, parents. Uh, and for the first time, uh, especially when it comes to curriculum and, and courseware, that, you know, the parents have become teaching assistants and they need some parental development as much as teachers need professional development, right? Well, it sounds like you had some experience teaching algebra earlier this year. <laughs> yes, it was awful. <laughs> and, I, and, and I know from... Um, uh, and Sal Khan didn't help me either. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think parents got a taste of how difficult it is to be a teacher. And um, I, I hope, you know, that there's a little bit more positive sentiment towards teachers and, and really the role they play in in children's lives, um, not just in teaching, but, but more broadly as, as mentors and um, supports for social and emotional learning. Now, I'm going to go back to our first three questions as we as we wrap up this episode. I really appreciate your time. And I, I think we, we handled it pretty good. Well, we, we can't ensure that student voices are better heard. At least we acknowledge the fact that they need to be. So whether that puts them on a school board or there's a process in which they can become more vocal I think we can start to address those things. Um, we talked about the changes in the uh, implementation of distance learning. Uh, basically, that comes down to support, and which was the third question about how do we better support remote teaching and learning. So uh, 
I know that the listeners will get a lot out of this conversation, Daniel, and, and I really appreciate your time. And thank you for your work with the report. I think that this sort of information uh, is valuable for everyone. Well, thanks for having us, Kevin. And, and I hope the report starts the kind of conversations where we can hear more student voices. Absolutely. And I'd like to thank the listeners for tuning in to this episode of Remote Possibilities. I hope you hunt and peck around for another one soon. Thanks again. <laughs>